0: Well, good. We're continuing on in the book of Malachi. And what does Malachi mean? What's the name mean? Messenger. My messenger. Okay. <clears throat> and several times in the book, and even in our reading today, we're going to come across the word uh, messenger. <clears throat> and so it's a, it's a theme. Not, it's not only the meaning of his name, but it's a theme that continues through, through the book. So Mal- we're in Malachi chapter 2. And we'll start uh, reading in uh, verse 1 to verse 9. Would somebody just uh, make bold and uh, read that out for us? And now
1: this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke you your descendants. I will spread on your faces the opal from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This call for reverence. He revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. Nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned away from your teaching Have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality
0: in matters of the law. Okay. So you can see.
1: (laughs) Is that an ouch? An ouch message. An ouch.
0: Ouch, it is, it is an ouch message, that's for sure, yep. And uh, <clears throat> you can see where it is mentioned here, uh, the messenger, uh, down in chapter 2, verse 7. So, who was meant to be a messenger of the Lord?
1: Well,
0: the, priests to be. the priests, the priests were meant to be a messenger of the Lord. And uh, so, in in uh, his words, Malachi is talking generally about the state of the nation, the affairs of the people, and how they displease the Lord. But in specific, he's targeting the priests, and uh, because they were meant to be the leaders, they were meant to be the moral barometers of the nation, to to uh, lead people in in uh, the ways of the Lord, and uh, we we uh, said the first two verses. There's a, a judgment that comes on on uh, uh, Israel, and also a judgment that comes on us if we are unfaithful. Uh, God is quite capable of of disciplining His children, and even severely, if uh, they do not follow His ways. Uh, but what do you think it means in verse 3? Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the awful from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off of it. What does that verse mean? My Bible just disgrace? disgrace? Yes. Yeah. What does it mean, rebuke your descendants? Yeah, yeah, you know, sin has a sin has a uh, uh, not only a, 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 an impact for the present, but it has an impact for the future as well. And uh, in the law, it says, if it, if we reject His commands, that it spreads to the, from the fathers to the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate Me. So sin has a longitudinal effect as well. It comes down through generations, and it corrupts generations. And uh, uh, that is uh, proven out uh, not only in the scriptures, but in daily life as well. We see uh, people who have struggled with various uh, sins in their, in their uh, families. And uh, talking with a guy the other day, and he is an alcoholic, at least he, he was an alcoholic, and he's in recovery. But he said, my father was an alcoholic and my grandfather was an alcoholic. And it was just a way of life in our family. So the sins get pushed down through the, the generations. And, and it, there's a longitudinal uh, corruption of families as a result of ongoing sin. Uh, by the way, there, there's also a blessing uh, pronounced for those who repent of that sin because it says in... Uh, well let's look at it in in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 20 it's important for us to see this this effect of sin in the generations it's the Ten Commandments he's talking about and uh, in verse four and this is really the the indictment for people who Break the first two commandments. They put another, uh, they don't worship the true and living God. Exodus chapter 20. Okay. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4. It says. In verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So for ongoing sin in a family, there is ongoing judgment. But when 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 someone turns to the Lord, and repents of their sin, the curse is broken. A lot of people talk about generational curses. Well, I'd like to, I like to talk about generational blessings. All right, because the 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 curse lasts how long? What does it say here? The to the third and the fourth generation. And the blessing lasts how long? A to a thousand generations. You see, so God is not. Into the business of cursing, primarily, he will curse. But he's into the into the business of blessings. And when when um, people turn to the Lord, uh, there's a blessing that flows down through the generations. Uh, Kathy has has a a hobby of uh, looking at uh, the the uh, the generations that have preceded us, and uh, what is it called? Uh, Genealogy. So Kathy's doing genealogy studies. And what is interesting is that, is that uh, I knew the Rennie side of my family, and that my great grandfather was a man of God. My uh, uh, f- grandfather was a man of God. He ran a Presbyterian Sunday school in Fergus, Ontario, for years. My uh, father was a man of God. And a blessing came to me through that line. On the other side, my grandfather was an alcoholic. <laughs> and and the temptation to sins of excess were there in my family through my grandfather, such that one of his sons became an alcoholic. And one of his daughters became an alcoholic. But my mother got saved. And... Uh, Uh, suddenly the curse ended, and the blessings began in that family line. We actually look back in uh, the family line of my my mother, and about four generations ago, five generations ago in England, one of my forebears was a well-known Bible teacher. And uh, so I think, thank you very much, Lord, because back in that family line, (laughs) There was a a guy who who blessed his family and that blessing trickles down through the generations. So this is the longitudinal uh, effect of sin. Is there any comments on that? You think that's true?
2: Individuals who are not, do not, um, what do I say, make themselves available to that blessing because they make choices then that, that uh, cause that disruption in their personal lives. So it's, you know, it's a wonderful thing, but it still requires that personal responsibility for every generation.
0: Yes. And and we're going to track this again, and and when we go back to the book of um, Malachi, it's it's going to come up in just a few minutes uh, in regard to this generational thing. But let's let's move on in our discussions here. It says in verse 4, And you will know that I have sent you this admonition, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace I gave to him to him, and this called for reverence, and he revered, revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. Who was Levi? Did you look up Levi? Uh, Levi was not the high priest. Who was, who was chosen to be the first priest? Aaron. Aaron was chosen, all right, to be the first uh, priest, and and the the family of Aaron was to be the the priesthood. But it doesn't mention Aaron's name here; it mentions Levi. So who was Levi? One of the he was one of the twelve brothers, right? And wh- why did God make a special covenant with him? Yeah. Were they, also responsible the tabernacle? they were responsible to take care of the tabernacle, to carry it through the wilderness, to make sure it was uh, it, it was in good shape and repaired, and so on. Uh, but how did Levi get this blessing? And by the way, it was a blessing because. Uh, they were marked out for special privilege in, in Israel. Right? They, they were the spiritual tribe of Israel who were meant to lead Israel in in uh, in their worship. Well, the story is is back in uh, when when Moses went to uh, uh, was called to, to Mount Sinai by God, and he went up and he received the Ten Commandments, and he came back down. And what was the, the what was happening to the people? They were worshipping the golden calf, and uh, uh, so Moses cast the the tablets of the law down. They were broken anyway, so now they are broken on the ground. And then he said, who is on the Lord's side? He said to the people, who is on the Lord's side? And the, the sons of Levi said, we're on the Lord's side. And they rose up, and they started to war against all of the the idolaters who were worshipping this idol. And there was a battle, and Levi led the battle for God against the idolaters. And when the battle was finished, that's when God said, I'm going to bless Levi. He will be my 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 spiritual tribe. He will be the people, his uh, uh, progenitors will be the people who... Uh, are responsible for the worship in Israel, and so Aaron was a Levite, and uh, uh, all of his, all not only not only Aaron's family but the whole tribe uh, became dedicated to God. Now, is there any connection between that priesthood that existed in Israel and the church today? Is there any way that we can take a lesson from the particular privilege that Levi had and what the church has today? We're supposed to be spiritual. Hmm? We're supposed to be a witness. We're we're supposed to... Absolutely, we're supposed to... and, And we're actually called a priesthood. All right, the church is a priesthood because it says in 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 9 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 9 but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light so just as Levi was a special tribe amongst the children of Israel, charged with the care of God's, of God's tabernacle and temple, and charged with the, the burden of carrying the truth of God to the nation. They were charged with the, with the teaching of the nation. So we are a priesthood in the world. We are meant to to be examples of godliness and purveyors of truth, teaching the people around us what, who God is. And uh, so we, the Levitical priesthood really, in a spiritual sense, comes down to us as well. Because here it is, we're a royal priesthood. Uh, we've, we've been charged to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into, into his light. So uh, God made a covenant with Levi, and it was a, it was a great covenant. There, was a, there, there, were, there were responsibilities, as we have been talking about, but there were also great blessings. They got to live right beside the tabernacle. They were at the center of the camp. All the activity, all of the, 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 the blessing of being at the center of the cap, camp belonged to Levi. And they weren't given any land in Israel, but they were given fields around all the major towns, so there was, no, there was no distinct territory of Levi in, in, in Israel. But they were given some of the choicest fields around all the towns so that they could feed themselves. And they received a portion of all of the sacrifices, all the offerings, all the sacrifices. A portion of all those that, all those things that were sacrificed went directly to the Levites. That's how they got paid for their services. That's how they got fed. Right? because uh, out of the out of the sacrifices so what happened well the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge and wisdom but uh, it says in verse 9 uh, about, uh, verse 8 but you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble you have violated the covenant with Levi Covenant with Levi was a blessing it was a covenant of life and peace. His words were, were meant to be life-giving. He was, he was called to be a peacemaker. He was called to bring peace to Israel. and now they bring uh, immorality, they bring disturbance, and they turn many astray. So as we were saying last time, one of the, one of the uh, uh, biggest uh, sins that Jesus spoke against was hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a sin that is that uh, that Jesus uh, uh, accused the Pharisees of, and he called them hypocrites because they they spoke one thing but they did the opposite, and their lives betrayed uh, their hearts because their hearts were evil. And hypocrisy still is one of the worst sins that we can be guilty of today. Uh, I have struggled with being a faithful man and this area of hypocrisy, uh, my children have sometimes called me out on it. I remember when... uh, we were delivering some heavy uh, uh, loads out of the back of the truck uh, at, at Kalani. And uh, I was helping them, helping the, the, uh, some of the men work at the hospital take this load off the truck. And, and uh, suddenly, I was the only one left uh, c- carrying it. <laughs> and, and I almost got my hands caught underneath the, the, uh, uh, the load and just got them out in time otherwise my hands would have been crushed. I was so angry I turned to them, and my, my, my son Christopher was there at the time witnessing all of this. I turned to them and I said these hands, do you know that these are the only hands that do surgery in the whole area of Kalani? These hands, what are you doing with these hands? So my my son and I have a joke. Whenever I'm I'm tempted to get proud and say anything that's arrogant, my my son only has to say these hands. (laughs) So I had to go back and apologize to these guys uh, for for my uh, outburst of anger and and my display of arrogance because uh, that's what it was any, any, uh, any uh, people uh, does that strike a familiar chord with anybody or not <laughs> maybe I'm the only sinner in the room I don't know well, I was thinking about one um, that I have seen
1: happen through the
3: family
0: and that's being a workaholic a workaholic yes a workaholic yeah okay. and I've seen that just it wasn't actually applauded.
1: Mm-hmm. And saw, I've seen that through generations. Yeah. Even
0: in my own family. So. Yeah. And work is a good thing. But when I'm addicted to work and when it becomes my pride and when it becomes uh, the, the source of my uh, value, and, and, and uh, uh, yeah, it becomes, it becomes a sin of pride. Yeah. It's true. Any other thoughts on that particular portion of scripture before we move on? Notice the last thing he says in um, in verse 9. He says, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. See, the priests were not only to take care of the, the vestments and of the tabernacle, furniture, and to make sure the sacrifices were carried out, they were not only to to uh, uh, be the teachers of the law, but they were also meant to render judgments on spiritual matters. So there, the the priests were part of the of the uh, the civil law in Israel, and uh, they 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 could they could uh, determine. Uh, judgments. Uh, when Jesus was on trial, he he went before the, the chief priest, and so it was a judgment by the by the chief priest that uh, led him to finally to uh, uh, be uh, crucified. Uh, so they were they were also serving as judges, but they showed partiality in matters of the law. Uh, any, uh, any thoughts on uh, how that might apply today? Oh,
3: okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 um, politics where, say, for example, a minister from a church or whatever will say that um, we will support a, a candidate, but they're supposed to stay impartial. They should not be influencing especially if you're invading this person, you know, as a Godhead or whatever, that he's a saviour, you know, if he gets elected. Yeah. But
0: that's not right. That's right. And there's a verse in, in James, chapter two and verse one, it says, As my beloved as brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, do not show partiality. Do not show prejudice. And then in, in uh, uh, verse 9, he says, because if you show prejudice, you are judged uh, by the law. You are, you are a wrongdoer. So prejudice is definitely a, a sin. Partiality, uh, being unfair in judgment, is a sin that needs to be repented of. But that's what they were doing. Uh, let's read on. Verse 10 to verse 16. Would somebody read uh, that portion?
2: the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offering or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and your wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit, and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man covering himself with violence, as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in spirit, and do
0: not break faith. Okay. So what is the what is the uh, uh, what is the word that is repeated three or four times here? Remember we were talking about counting words and, and if, if you want to know what the, the true intent of a passage is, it's good to, to, to look at the words that are being repeated. Unfaithful. Yes, unfaithful, breaking faith. And uh, this, is a, this is a very powerful word. In some of the translations it's called treachery. Do not deal treacherously. In other words, there's a very solemn uh, vow that is being broken here. Do not break faith. Do not commit treachery. Uh, so he he starts uh, by talking about, in verse 19, he says, aren't we all one? He's talking about the fatherhood, the spiritual fatherhood of Israel. He's not talk, talking about the sense that every person on the face of the earth has been created in the image and likeness of God, and so... We have one father in that sense, but it's, he's talking about a spiritual fatherhood here and how all Israel was meant to consider one another uh, with love and with fairness because they are all brothers and sisters here and that and that uh, they were all created uh, by, by God. Uh, but then he says, why do you profane the covenant of our fathers? Once again, another covenant. We talked about the covenant with Levi. This is a covenant of blessing that God gave to the people, the covenant that that told them to love one another and take care of one another. Why do you profane this covenant by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. A A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign God. Now, Why would God... Prohibit this intermarriage.
3: I can convert them. But sometimes it doesn't work. And then they
2: convert you to their way of life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's also the purity of the race. Because when the Messiah was made to come from the race. From, the, from that people group. And if they got all mixed up. And they never kept a pure line. Then... Um, that would have messed up the whole, the whole uh, plan for uh, the Messiah. For Jesus coming
4: into the world, yeah. right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what Israel was guilty of. God told them to keep the line pure. He told them uh, not to intermarry with the idolatrous uh, nations, not to take their sons and daughters to be husbands and wives, uh, in order that, that there might be a, a pure. Uh, race of people in preparation for the coming of the of the Messiah. Uh, so what about today? What about, uh, uh, what about the Christians? How do we apply this personally? Is, is, a, um, is a Christian prohibited in any way from marrying someone of another race for instance? Not at all, all right? Not at all, because we are all one in Christ Jesus. There's neither uh, Jew nor, nor, nor Gentile. Uh, all are one are in Christ Jesus. So there, there's no sense of, of uh, uh, anyone uh, disparaging another race or thinking them unfit for marriage, all right? That is, that is an ungodly uh, view of the equal, essential equality of man and, and our oneness in Christ. But what is the prohibition that Christians have in regard to marriage? There's one prohibition. Not marrying an unbeliever. And do you, yes, that's it, that's it. Do you know where it's found? Yes. What, where is it found? <laughs> All right, where's the address? If you were, if, if if somebody today came in, came to you and said, "All right, uh, where is this verse?" and uh, would you be able to help them? All right, I know you can find it you on your Google
2: phones. Right You'd Google it right away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How about Second Corinthians six and
2: fourteen.
0: Second. <laughs> so
2: you got the page marked here. I guess. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what the righteousness and wickedness have in common. What fellowship can light have in darkness? Yes.
0: So this is the one prohibition when it comes to marrying. You know, sometimes we can say, well, it's not very wise to marry somebody who is so different from you, but there's no prohibition, all right? It's not very wise to marry somebody who, who, who might uh, be from another part of the world because there's going to be difficulties in learning to live together. Right? But that's not a prohibition. It's, just, it's going to be more difficult if you have a lot of uh, cultural differences. But this is the thing that's prohibited. Marry somebody in the Lord. Marry somebody who belongs to Jesus. Because if not, there will be a fellowship of light and darkness, and it may not seem so, but it's going to prove to be so that there will be a great conflict between light and darkness when when people marry outside of their faith, and uh, like you said, uh, Rose, that we, we think, well, maybe I can save him, you know, maybe I can save her, right? but but uh, that is. Uh, it's contrary to god's word and it's risky business right to to marry somebody that's outside of the faith so we need to teach our children to seek believers and to and to uh, seek to uh, be married in the faith doesn't mean that your marriage will be perfect by the way right it just means that, that there's a there's at the very beginning there is no disparity there, there you are both children of light and God can help you uh, uh, to, to meld uh, to become one flesh and to have a good marriage because both of you have the Holy Spirit within you, right? But if you don't, if you're your married an unbeliever, the spirit of darkness comes, comes in to, to your very soul because you are one with someone who doesn't even know the Lord. And, and this, is, uh, this is the one prohibition. Any other comments about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. As a counselor you probably referred to when people are uh, in passion with one another. That's one five percent. Have you ever heard that? Well, I think when people are, are romantically uh, uh, involved, it's true. There's a kind of temporary insanity that goes on. That's that's for sure. That's right. All they see is stars. And <laughs> yeah. You know, the priests were the ones who were the most guilty of this. Uh, back in Ezra, uh, when Ezra came uh, from Babylon and he found uh, uh, quite a mess in Israel, uh, you know where uh, Ezra is uh, right after Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job... Um, in Ezra chapter nine, or chapter 10, it, say, it, it says in verse um, 18, among the descendants of the priests, the following had married foreign women. And Ezra came and he said this, Divorce them. Send them all back to their nations of origin. Now somebody might say, well, what if they had happy families? And what about the children? This law was so powerful in Israel that Ezra came and said, if you are going to be a faithful follower of the Lord, you have to divorce your spouse and send them back. And that's what they were—they did. That's what they had to do if they were to comply with Ezra or if they were to comply with the law of God. In other words marriage is not the ultimate law. We're going to see that in a minute. Marriage is not the ultimate law. In Israel, for the sake of holiness, Ezra commanded the people to divorce their wives. And and many of the priests had to send back their 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 wives to the to the other nations. So, with that in mind, let's go to the next section, all right? In 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 Malachi chapter 2, because it talks about divorce. Uh, Someone read verse 13 to 16. I think you are reading from the new NIV. Is that right? Yes. The new NIV. Because there is a big difference between what Kathy read just a couple of minutes ago and what you read. And the difference is found in verse 16. Read, read yours Kathy, this is the older version. Okay. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. All right. What does yours say? Um the man who hates and
4: divorces his wife says the Lord, the God of Israel,
0: does violence to the one who should protect. Okay. So what's the difference? Who's doing the hating? Who's doing the hating? Okay. Now I learned this last this this past week. I learned this, all right, because <laughs> I was studying this passage, and uh, and uh, went back in my my notes, and went back in in the books, and went back uh, on on YouTube, and and uh, uh, looked at all of these different uh, discussions on this passage. The original meaning for in the Hebrew is that the 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 uh the word hate is in the third person so it's not the first person it's not god talking and uh uh so the 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 the, the original says the man who hates and divorces his wife in the translation to the english in in 1611, when the King James came out and when other translations quickly followed, for some reason, the interpretation was switched to the first person, God talking, I hate divorce. The new NIV corrects that. And, and the newer translation, the ESV, and some of the newer translations over the last 20-30 years, Go back to the original. It's In the third person, it's talking about the man who divorces his wife. He, He is the one who's doing the hating. He hates his wife. Therefore, God did not say, I hate divorce. God did not say that. Now, there's every indication in the passage that he is displeased, mightily displeased, with people who carelessly divorce. But as I said in regard to Ezra, there's a time to divorce. There is a time to divorce, right? When the evil is great in a marriage, there's a time to divorce. And and when people say, well, I can't divorce because God hates divorce. God didn't say he hates divorce. And so he still is mightily displeased with with the, 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 the carelessness that people take in their marriages, and he's mightily displeased with breaking faith. But he doesn't say here I hate divorce. So a lot of people, they're intimidated, and they're in very difficult straits in their marriage, and they say, well, I can't divorce because God says he hates divorce. He doesn't say that. So although it's, a, although it's a, a covenantal relationship, and although it's a precious relationship, God does not come straight out and say, this is so bad, I hate it, He should never be. No, no, he doesn't say that. And, and so the interpretation of this verse is very important. It's very important to me. Uh, because for years, I believe, God said, I hate divorce. And so we should never, never even think of divorcing. That's not the case. That's not the case. There's a time to divorce. There's a time to divorce. There's a time when the evil is so great and, and, and the trouble is so intense in a marriage and the threat is so great in a marriage and to the children of that marriage that divorce is the righteous option. That's right. That is now. It's right. That's right. So, don't get me wrong. Is God advocating divorce? No, it's a precious covenant, and to break it is to break covenant with God. And by the way, in this passage, who are the three parties that are hurt and and wounded when there is divorce? The husband, uh, or, or the wife and the children, and God. See, God is the one who's saying, listen, you're breaking covenant with me. You're breaking covenant with me because it says in verse 13 because of the, the priests were so quick to divorce their, their wives and, and they'd go to the altar and God wouldn't even receive their prayers. God wasn't listening to them. They were pour, pouring out their tears on the altar and they were wondering why God wouldn't receive their offerings or wouldn't receive their prayers. And, and they say, why? It, it says in verse 13, it's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her.
3: Yeah? So, yeah, God, if you're standing before God as a married servant and then, you know, you're just being divorced, I guess you, especially if you call yourself
0: children of God, I guess he's not pleased. Yes. It, it got to the point where marriage, divorce was so frivolous that if a man was displeased with his wife, let's say, you know, she wasn't a good cook or something, and, uh, 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 all he had to do was stand up in the congregation and say to her, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Three times, if he said that, it was over. That's how quick it was. It was just so frivolous, you see, that they were, they were quickly divorcing their wives. And so God stands up against that because it's a breaking of the, of the, the moral covenant. Uh, God intends for people to be melded together. Two become one and uh, what god has joined together do not let man separate so there's it's a precious covenant but it's not an eternal covenant it's not a it's an, it's not an unbreakable covenant because when the conditions of of evil the, the evil is so great that uh, let's say for a woman remaining in a marriage the evil is so great and the possibility of evil is so great we don't say well stay with that guy right we say you you get as far away from him as you can because that is it's unrighteous it it's it's promoting ungodliness if you remain and your children will 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 will, will be polluted as well so you see the conflict you see the contention there we can't just say once you're married, you're married, and that's it. You're stuck, and you made your bed, and you lie in it. That is not the intent of Scripture. That's not. And God did not say, "I hate divorce." What He hates is covenant breakers. What He hates is people who mistreat uh, the marriage uh, vow. And, and look at what it says in in verse 16: "I hate a man covering himself with violence as with his garment." Uh, this, is, this is a word picture, a metaphor, because marrying a, a woman, it, it means putting a garment of protection or a, a cloak of protection and care over her. Now, Do you remember the story in the Old Testament? Yeah. What is the story, Alice? Ruth! Ruth! You see? What did Boaz do on the threshing floor? He put his cloak over her. In other words, I'm going to marry you. I am going to be your protector. I'm going to be your defender. I'm going to be your blesser. I will be your caregiver for the rest of my life. The the cloak was a picture of care and protection. But these people, he says, "You've, you've turned your cloak to be an instrument of violence. You're doing violence to your wife, not protecting her. And that's the evil that is being flushed out here. All right. so, so that's when we start thinking, you know, when, when a woman is being beaten in her marriage, what's she going to do? Well, that's violence. And uh, we better do something about that. Now, if we believe that God hates all divorce, that there's no room for divorce, that woman is, that woman is in, in terrible straits because she's caught between a rock and a hard place, right? let alone the children. See, So we have to be wise here and rightly divide the word of truth because God uh, instituted the covenant of marriage. It's a holy covenant. Sometimes, even in the plan of God, needs to be broken. Any thoughts on that? Yes. Especially in the eye of God, I think, like you said, how do you balance the two? Yeah. At the same time,
4: Christian or non-Christians, there's so much problem in the marriage, especially with children, and in cases that their lives are danger. how do we act more faithfully and allow separation of
0: that? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. for family, for your yep. spouse. Yeah. And
3: that's, um, you know, you, you have influences. Like you said also, lessons can be for thousands of generations. Yeah. And then a curse,
4: if you were turning back home, would be three-four generations. So we have a very merciful, good, good father.
0: Yes. You know, yeah. Excellent thoughts. Well, time is gone. People are gathering. That's... Kenny, I wonder if you could close us off in prayer. Would you do that?